What's up my self-improvement family? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Buckle up and get ready for a self-improvement sit down. And this one is really moving, not only because of what we talk about, but how relatable it is to everyone and anyone who's looking to pursue their dreams. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In the self-improvement sit down series, I interview people that are at the top of their industry, helping people to be more successful, productive, and well-rounded in their lives. The weekday format of the podcast is a short two minute personal development approach, exercise, mindset, perspective, or takeaway that gives you new ideas to make progress within your own personal growth. And I highly encourage you to subscribe if you wanna get more consistent with your self-improvement. But we'll save those for another day. Today's self-improvement sit-down guest is one of the best storytellers I've ever met, and he's got a really powerful message for you today. This is self-improvement sit-down number 27 with Shane Sams. And we are live. Today's guest is Shane Sams. Shane and his wife, Jocelyn, are just normal folk from Kentucky who turned in their teaching jobs for a shot at being online entrepreneurs. Originally selling online products for football coaches and librarians, they now have founded their own extremely successful business called Flipped Lifestyle, where they help real people create online businesses of their own to take control of their lives and change their family's future. The reason Shane's business is so impactful is because he lived it himself. He had to go through his own story of hardship, doubt, and discouragement to get where he is today. And it's in that transformation that I know we all have a lot to learn. Shane, dude, it's it's awesome to speak with you today. Brian, it is good to see you again, my friend. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other, we were in San Diego hanging out together, but I don't feel like I've hung out with anybody for a while. <laughs> so we've been at the house hanging out and it's, uh, it's good to be, it's good to see your face here today and talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Note that this is being filmed mid quarantine. So yeah, yes, we mid quarantine. Really it's a, it's a quarantine special sure. right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, great. And I, I do want to go back to, I mean, now we're talking about the beginning of our relationship. I want to go back to the beginning of your relationship with this line of work, um, which is kind of when this all started, you realized that your nine to five was no longer sustainable in the ways that you wanted to live your life. And I know over the years you grew more unhappy at work and it kind of started sucking the life out of you. You know, everyone hears that story. Um, but then as a parent, you lived through a nightmare involving your oldest child and, uh, and his experience at a daycare that forced you really to reevaluate your life. Um, and just kind of to, to set the tone of like where this transformation came from, I just love for you to reflect on that story, what happened and what it means to you today. <clears throat> sure. I, um, I used to be a school teacher. You know, I was a, a football coach in a Southeast Kentucky. I taught social studies to, you know, 170 rambunctious, crazy teenagers every single day. And my wife was an elementary school librarian. We both work in the same district, but we were on the opposite ends of the county. So it was like we had that commute where you were like ships in the night. Like she would go 40 minutes one day, I'd go 30 minutes the other. And we'd kind of catch each other at night before bed. I think a lot of people could relate to that. And, um, you know, life was okay. It was, it was decent. Um, we, Jocelyn always says we used to live a good enough life. Um, you know, we, we got up, we went to work, we came home, we got up, we went to work, we came home, we got a steady paycheck, but it was a paycheck that you got paid on Friday and it ran out on Thursday, right? Everybody's had that kind of paycheck before. So, you know, you were just living paycheck to paycheck, living the, with a quote unquote American dream. And 
man, we had just settled in on our, on our march to retirement, bro. And, uh, but then something happened at work one day, like many people who have uh, children, you know, and also have jobs where both uh, people are working in the, in the workforce, we had to use daycare. I mean, we had, my parents work, my brothers work, there was nobody to watch our kids. So we used the daycare center and we had this amazing daycare center ran by this little old lady. Um, and she was just the sweetest thing. I mean, every, every kid in the daycare was basically her grandkid. Right. And it was an awesome, awesome place, but she was retiring. And um, she had decided to sell the facility to one of her workers. So we thought, hey, we'll stick it out. We'll keep going. Everything's going to be fine. And in hindsight, we realized things went downhill very fast behind the scenes. Um, that lady brought in a bunch of new people. Nobody really noticed at first. And it kind of happened over time. And the, the whole culture of the daycare changed. And my son, you know, at the time, he was about three or four years old. And wasn't super verbal, couldn't communicate with us really well. Um, but we noticed some changes in his behavior. Like he got really, really scared of the dark, but he was three. So we thought, Hey, kids are scared of the dark. And then he got really, really freaked out about going into the bathroom. He would hold his uh, bathroom for a long time, wouldn't go. But we thought again, eh, it's potty training. It's bathroom. It's, it's kids, right? Then he started getting really um, kind of nervous and scared on the ride to work every day on the ride to the daycare. Um, I took Isaac to his facility. Jocelyn uh, dropped off our, our little girl, Anna Jo. She went to another facility that was only for kids two and under. So it was a different building on another street. And, you know, Isaac, one morning, really, really freaked out. I mean, he was holding on to the car. He wouldn't let me take him inside to the daycare center. And he was screaming. And I was like, what is wrong with you, bud? What's going on? And he, and he said something that kind of sent a, a chill up my spine. He said, I don't want to go in there. She hurts me. And I'm like, what? And, you know, and, he, and I was trying to dig out of him what was going on. And I said, how does she hurt you? And he basically went on to tell me that one of the workers to punish him when he had potty training accidents was locking him in a dark bathroom for hours at a time. And she, she just, just to punish him, just to scare him. Like every time you do this, I'm going to put you in here and turn the lights out to, to show you. So trying to make, basically she didn't want to deal with it. Right. And she was locking him in there and, you know, and I'm sitting here shocked. Like, I'm trying to put this together, too, because my kid's three. Is he telling me what's going on? Is this really what's happening? Like, and I don't know what to do. But all I do know is I can't take him back in there. I, I have to figure out what's happening. So at the same time, I've got to be at work because I'm a school teacher. I'm, I'm legally obligated to be in the room so those high school kids don't burn down the building, right? And I've got, I can't get a hold of anybody. Jocelyn, her school was out of service. Uh, you couldn't really call in there. I couldn't get a hold of uh, my mom and dad. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I took Isaac over to the uh, other daycare facility where my daughter was and I begged them, please just, can you watch him for a couple hours because I need to run to work and I need to run back and I'll pick him up, but I need somewhere for him to go right now. So I can, I'm a good employee. I've got to be at work. I got to take care of my responsibilities. And they told me, Hey, this is facility. We're not licensed to keep anybody over two years old. You've got to be back. And I'm like, Oh, I'll be back. I promise. And I, I got in my car and I'm driving to work. I'm speeding there, trying to get there as fast as possible. And I run in the building. I check my classroom right when the bell rings. I ask the teacher next door to come over and watch my class. And I go down to talk to my principal who, you know, I was like, just going to tell him what, what was going on. Just going to tell him, hey, this is what happened. I need to go deal with this. Help me out here. Um, so I go into the principal's office and um, the interim principal was sitting there. Uh, my main principal wasn't in the building. I don't know where he was that day. He wasn't, he wasn't there. 
So I go in to talk to this interim vice principal and she says, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, well, I told her the exact story I heard just told you. My son is telling me this is happening. Lots, lots of fear, lots of anxiety. He was freaking out. Like I can't put him back in there. I need to go back. I need to deal with this today. Can you help me get a sub? Can you go watch my classroom until the sub gets here and just help me out so I can get here. And Brian, I remember when she, when she looked up at me after I was done telling that story, she took off her glasses and, and she sat them on the table and she looked up at me and paused for just a second and then went into this like very stern, like, like, like speech. She was like, Mr. Sams, I know your son needs you, but your job needs you too. I don't have time today to watch your classroom. Um, I don't have any subs in the building. They've all been deployed already. We've already started the day and you need to handle this after work. You need to handle this after your job is done today. Um, I don't have time to do this. So you're going to have to deal with it on your own. And I was standing there listening to this, shocked that I just told someone who had kids, do you realize that I just found out that my, the daycare center where my son has been going for weeks has probably been torturing him and locking him in this bathroom. And he's, I don't even know, God knows what else. We found out later that one of the workers was putting kids under a beanbag chair and sitting on them to punish them, like really gross, horrific stuff. Uh, we heard one kid they put up on a table in his underwear and made all the other kids point at him and laugh and make fun of him. Like just horrific things were going on in there and nobody knew it because it happened so fast. And I'm sitting there, all these things are going through my head of what my son, just what my son had told me. And I said, what ha what's gonna happen if I leave? And she goes, oh, well, you can't just leave your classroom. You you're gonna get wrote up, you're gonna get reprimanded, you're gonna get this, you're gonna get that. And I said, well, that's going, to have to happen. So I got, I left, I got in my car and I was driving back. You know, I don't know if I'm going to get fired. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I didn't have tenure at the time. So I didn't know if that was going to be, you know, be able to save my job. Um, and I got in the car and I drove back, man. I caught myself in the rear view mirror on the way back home, on the way back to Isaac. And I looked at myself in the eye and man, I remember being so mad at myself, Brian, not because I'd put, you know, the, 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 the daycare center, not because any of that, it was because I had given so much control of my life over to someone else, to an employer. I traded my entire life, my entire freedom to this employer for a little paycheck and some health insurance. And, I, and I'd done that in a way where someone thought they had so much control over me that they could tell me I couldn't be there for my three-year-old son. And in that car, man, as I was driving back to Isaac, I, I made a promise to myself. I said, man, I will never be in this situation again. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm going to try to keep my job right now and keep my nose down and do my thing. But I'm going to find a way to become and stay self-employed, to take total control of my life, total control of my time. And the next time my son needs me, I will be there for him. This will happen again, and uh, I'm going to be there for him. So that, that's how we went down the road of looking for, uh, for online business and something else to do. Yeah, I mean, just wow. Like just so powerful. And I mean, I think so many people can put themselves in your shoes when it's just like the reality of life, looking at how things are and how things can be and understanding that if you do have ownership of your life and you can actually create that change you want to see that there is an opportunity to get out of this nightmare situation that, but, but I didn't know that at possible. the time. You know what I mean? I, didn't, I had no clue. Like, cause I was raised as go to college, get a degree. I mean, my dad had, a, he worked in insurance, so he kind of worked for himself, but it was still very, nine to five, get your job, get your degree, guarantee yourself an income, get on that road to get that retirement, have somebody pay for your health insurance. Like 
it had occurred to me, maybe everybody thinks about doing something on your own, but you don't really know how or, or how that's even possible, especially when you have no money in the bank and no time in your life to, to build it. So it was really, even though I knew I was going to go down that path, I had no possible idea where it would lead me at that point. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point, actually, because like that's that's so true like in life you have a bunch of ideas and everyone has ideas like everyone has the next million dollar idea but it's a matter of actually taking action and pursuing that idea and and kind of one of the things that was required from you is that education piece like okay this is something that's in my head that I want to accomplish it's possible but I don't even know what the first step is right. but what you did was you were so motivated you know from this experience look like you said looking in the rearview mirror and understanding kind of what can I do to be there in the future? Like that is really powerful, especially as a man, as a father, like that's really powerful to have that moment. Um, you know, understanding that there is a roadmap to that, that life. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know where it's going to take you, but you can't, you got to do it on your own. It's not going to just happen for you, you know? Right. And that's kind of what I want to jump into is that next step of, okay, you had this realization. And, and I also want to mention too, like, how unfair that is. I mean, like, you know, I've learned through you that you are one of the most loyal employees. You're always showing up like, like there should be just enough leeway, you know, humans, human anyway, to handle situations like that. So just really sad that it had to happen. I looked back over that incident and, you know, I've really reflected on it and dealt with it and the, you know, I guess the trauma from it and things like that. And one of the things I think about that person who did that to us, I almost think that she thought that she was helping because she was like, because I had removed him from the immediate danger. And I think that was what she heard, right? Like I had, but I don't think she realized how stressful that situation was for everybody. I mean, my son's in a different facility. We're not even paying them. You know what I mean? Like this is a whole different, but I think she was like, hey, tough it out. Wait till three. You know, that corporate manager, let's get through this come to work sick mentality that none of us will ever have again. Right. And like, I think that she actually, from her point of view, thought she was trying to have, show me some tough love. Right. I don't think it was malicious. It just, it just, it just, the intent was not malicious, but the action was malicious. Right. Cause people don't, you know, people are all about their agenda, their day, their thing. And, you know, so I forgave her for how she treated me. And I, I hope that it wasn't a human thing. I hope it was just a mistake. Just like we all make every day, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Thank you for clarifying that. Because, yeah, in terms of intentions, right? Like, yes, her intentions, she she saw her lens of the situation being like, okay, with my responsibilities and his responsibilities and everything that's going on, you know, what's the right decision? So yeah, I, that's, that's a really good point. I imagine that she thought she was making the right decision. But what's interesting, though, is like, you know, we've we've helped over 3000 people now do what we did, which is get online, start an online business uh, based on memberships. We do a lot of monthly recurring revenue stuff online. And the people that we find that really make it are those people that do have a catalyst. You know, there's, you, can, you can run towards something or you can run away from something. And I think it always morphs into that thing we're running toward, the dream, right? Like, you know, I had this dream, could I start my own business? So I started running toward that after the catalyst. But if you can, if you can embrace the catalyst, if you can embrace the bad thing, instead of letting it beat you down, letting it get you depressed, letting it go get the bottle of wine and the bucket of ice cream, and instead you actually turn that into motivation, and that, that's going to always help you push forward, you know, because you want to run away from pain. None of us want to hurt, right? Like I, I started listening to podcasts because of this event, bro. Like I was going to and from school every day looking for podcasts. I started searching for, you know, anything I could find just to take my mind off of 
my commute to work. I was listening to football podcasts. And then I got the idea like, well, this guy's talking about football. Why can't I talk about football? And, you know, and I started listening to all these things. And one day I was getting ready to mow my grass and I found this podcast called the smart passive income podcast with Pat Flynn. And a lot of people know about him. I, I hope some of your, if your listeners have never heard of Pat Flynn, please God go listen to Pat Flynn because his podcast is incredible. And so I'm listening to this podcast and it was really early on in Pat's journey. He's become a mega podcaster now. And he, he was talking about how he uh, started an online business where he was selling a PDF study guide to a test. Literally people would send him $50 and, P and he would email them a PDF. It was crazy. I was like, what? And I was listening to this and just like two weeks before that, me and Jocelyn were in the car and I looked over at her and I said, you know, I could work for myself if I could just get a hundred people to pay me 50 bucks. And she looked over and said, what? I said, yeah, if I could get a hundred people to pay me $50 a month, I'd make 5,000 a month. That'd replace our income. That'd be $60,000 a year. That'd be more money than we're making as poor South teachers in Southeast Kentucky anyway. And if we could just get a hundred people to pay me 50 bucks, it would work. And she goes, yeah, but how are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know, babe, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to keep listening to these podcasts. So I started listening to this podcast and I literally hear him say, I charged 49 bucks. I made $9,000, sold all these things. And that was his first successful product. And man, I was, I nearly wrecked my lawnmower. I lived on a hill and I was mowing the hill and I hit the brake and started fishtailing down the hill. And I just jumped off the lawnmower, man, and ran inside. And I, and I went into the kitchen. Jocelyn was standing over there cooking food or something. And one of our kids was in a high chair, so I don't even know what was going on. And I said, Jocelyn, I figured it out. I know exactly how I'm going to get 100 people to pay us $50 a month every month. We're going to sell them emails. It's going to be awesome. They're going to pay me. I'm going to email them. I'm making no sense to her or you guys right now. And she just looks at me and goes, go, go finish the grass and let's eat lunch, right? So, so I, I realized that people were doing this online. They were taking things they knew about, creating information product, leading other people who were a little behind them in the journey and charging them for it. And that was a game changer for me. And that sent me down this road of online entrepreneurship, information products, in, uh, service-based recurring revenue, membership recurring revenue. And um, that's when I started building, you know, the online business that we have today. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, especially as you're talking about either run toward the challenge or the pain or the threat or run away from it and kind of what you did was you responded in that positive way of going like, okay, this is a situation. This is what I can do about it. Now let me take the next steps. And like you said, like you were like, okay, if people are talking about football, they might be talking about online businesses too. And you kind of were able to discover some of those resources that helped empower you. But I do want to talk about that mindset of, you know, someone who chooses to go and feel empowered and actually do something about it. You said that there's like a common thread that there is that catalyst that a lot of people experience. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on what that catalyst usually is, where that comes from, and how other people can recognize the own catalyst they have if they want to change their state in some way. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, it's when the catalyst meets the dream. That's when things really happen, right? So like when I first left, this was months later after that incident with my principal, right? This wasn't like an overnight thing where I just decided to do this. I, I looked at myself in the mirror in that rearview mirror and said, I'm going to pursue this. And I'm going to find a way because I don't want that to ever happen again. And the next time I'm in a situation like that with my son or my daughter or my wife, I'm going to be there and nobody's going to be able to stop me. So I knew I, I had the catalyst and the pain I was running from. But until I identified what the dream looked like and those two things merged together, it, it was impossible for me to go forward because I didn't know what to do for it. I was stuck. And I think a lot of people feel that way. 
a lot of your listeners, a lot of people out there right now have the catalyst. They know what hurts. They just don't know what to do next. So when I found an example of what I wanted, I started to watch the magician's hands to see if I could figure out the magic. So I started listening and looking and, and probing and saying, well, what's that person doing? What's this person doing? And, I and it took months, again, of looking through all this stuff to figure out, like, how are these people performing this sorcery? Like, what's going on here? But I, but I knew at that point that I had the dream and the catalyst were lined up. I had a place to, something to run from and something to run toward. This, this example, that's, that's what I had now. Before, it was just a nebulous concept. I will be able to be there for my son. That was, that's a concept. That's not really a dream, right? The dream is, wow, I can create products and sell them online and charge monthly and make enough money to feed my family. Now I've got a concrete dream. So I'm, I'm running from the catalyst. I'm running toward the dream. So I start doing all these things online. Like I just start taking action. I start trying the tricks. And if you tried right now to do a magic trick that you didn't know how to do, you drop the deck of cards, they'd spill everywhere, everything would fall apart. You try to put the quarter from someone's ear, you drop it and it, they'd know it was in your knuckle, right? I mean, you would mess the trick up. So I started doing this and I just started taking action. I started screwing everything up and I, was, I felt like I was constantly falling forward on my face, but every time I got up, I was a little closer to my dream, right? I would just fall forward, get up. All right, I fell forward, I've got a bloody nose, but guess what, I'm closer to my dream. And that's how it went for like a few months and dude, not, I, I failed so miserably like I failed to the point so many times where nothing was working like my wife was like this is stupid stop doing this I had people in my life I was kind of telling about this they were laughing at me like you're an idiot you're chasing a pipe dream you know this is a scam what are you doing and I started getting like really discouraged and that discouragement was moving toward the pain of my catalyst they were almost equal and that's where people give up they're like when the failures add up to the death by a thousand cuts hurts as bad as the catalyst you're like, well, screw this. I'll just take the devil I know, right? And I was at that point, man. I was at a really low point one night about midnight. Uh, it was, I mean, it was in the kids were in bed. Me and Jocelyn were laying there. You know, Jocelyn was reading a book. I was, you ever, you ever been in that really sad state at night where you're laying on your back and you got your computer on your chest and your, your chin's kind of holding your computer and you're reaching over and you're doing the mouse and you're just kind of tapping. I don't know everybody's listening that's done this before. They're nodding their head right now. And you're just like, oh, life sucks. I'm going to sit here and scroll a thousand more times on Facebook right? And anyway, but I wasn't scrolling on Facebook. I was looking at my analytics. I was looking at my Google analytics and my AdSense report, trying to see if anything had sold, anything had bought anything. And just like every other night, man, goose egg, zero, nothing. And I was really, really down. I was like, this is stupid. I'm going to give up. And I just closed my computer and I threw it on my bed. And I got up and I walked into the bathroom. I was brushing my teeth. I didn't even turn the light on, dude. I just left the light off. I was brushing my teeth. I can see myself in the moonlight and the light coming, the lamp coming from the bedroom. And I'm brushing my teeth in the dark, looking at myself in the mirror. And I'm like, and I just remember like brushing my teeth going, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? You're wasting all this time. You've sold so much of your stuff to try to get money to buy courses. You're, you're, you're running out of that. And it's just, it's just, this is not working. And I remember, dude, I looked up and prayed and I said, God, I said, is this real? Is that Pat Flynn guy full of crap? Is he a liar? Are all these people that have all these podcasts telling me the truth about making a living online and supporting their family and changing their future? If, if it is a lie, if it's just tell me and I'll just go, Hey, listen, I got a job. I'll retire. I'll take care of my family. I'll feed my family. If not, just give me a sign, man. And I, dude, I was about to go to bed. I went back to bed. I was reached down, grabbed my computer and I was about to pull it off the bed and I sat down and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look one more time. And I opened my computer screen. 
and AdSense was still there on the browser and I hit refresh and there was a zero there when I hit refresh, but when the screen loaded back again, there was 11 cents, like a dime and a penny. There was literally 11 cents. Somebody somewhere, somehow had clicked an ad on one of the crazy blogs that I'd thrown up and I had made money online. And that one moment of any of the smallest success gave me so much hope that I jumped out of bed and started screaming and started rocking like a touchdown dance. And Jocelyn's looking at me like, be quiet. The kids are asleep. Don't wake them up or I'll kill you. And I'm like, oh, look, look, you got to see this. And I turned the screen and I said, look, I sent something out there and somebody sent money back. This is real. This is real. If we can make 11 cents, we can make $11. We can make $1,100. We just have to figure out how to do it better. And I thought when I was, as I was saying it, I sounded insane. Like I, I, it's 11 cents. You can find a dime and a penny on the, in your couch cushions right now, man. And, and I, I looked over at Jocelyn, but I've noticed she kind of looked and squinted and she tilted her head and she sat there for a minute and she looked up and said, what else can we do? And I'm about to cry. I'm about to get emotional thinking about this because that was the moment that we, I knew we were going to do whatever it took to flip our lives, to change our family's future. And that's the difference. That's the difference is it's not just the catalyst. It's not just the dream. It's being able to fall on your face, but fall forward. It's being able to latch on to any success. I don't care if it's the first opt into your email list, the first click of an ad, the first sale, the first person that pays attention to you online. Like you got to be able to latch onto all of those successes and move forward. And when we find people that do that, like I got, we have a success forum inside the flip your life community. And when I see someone say, Hey guys, I signed up for Kajabi. Hey guys, I got my first opt in that wasn't my grandma doing it because she, or my mom, right? I know we've got someone that's probably uh, going to make it. So just latching onto those little things, man, is going to help you get away from the catalyst and it's going to help you move uh, right toward your dreams. Shane, you got a way of telling stories. My gosh, I was captivated going through that. And, and, and I mean, that's like the most effective way to, to demonstrate a really important point is like to actually put people in their shoes and walk them through that. And I mean, what you did was you summarize a lot of the things that I was gaining as you were describing it. You know, that idea of fall forward, you know, it's not fall down, it's fall forward and bloody up your nose. But that means, hey, at least you're pushing forward instead of just, you know, moving your wheels or spinning your wheels. You're actually trying to make progress and you have a certain direction. I love that idea of kind of you're running away from a catalyst and towards your dream. You need but both. Like, you got to have both. You man. need both. Exactly. Yeah. You need both because then where is that, that line in the sand, kind of that middle ground that's going to make you question your reasons for going forward? And for the, you, the, I mean, obviously same, you had the, a very strong reason. Yeah. The same thing is the, the, like I'm, I'm, we've coached a lot of people now over the last few years because we, 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 we had an education company. We had all these other things and we got into Flip Lifestyle later. Like we didn't set out to start flip lifestyle it kind of just happened but we've seen thousands of people now and we've also seen lots of people fail i mean let's be realistic guys everybody can't everybody everybody won't do this everybody can not everybody will and but the people we see fail they usually come back later because they, they maybe were just running from the catalyst and they were just depressed they hadn't visualized their dream yet or maybe some people just have a dream but they they haven't identified why they want the dream it doesn't make sense like why is why is that different or they do fall and they stop because their nose is bleeding and they want to, and it hurts, right? Until you kind of link everything together, that, that's the magic. That's when you get things going on. So if anybody out there has a dream, why, why is that your dream? 
right? Simon Sinek, start with why. Like, why, what are you running from? And then what, why do you want to run toward that? And then are you willing to do what it takes in between to get there? Like Olympians don't get to go figure skate at the Olympics until they've broke every bone in their legs and their knees and they're, they've cut themselves on their skates and they've done all those things, right? Like you, until you link all those three things together, you're probably not going to move forward. But as soon as you do, you can't be stopped from going forward. It just, it's impossible. Yeah. No, it, it takes a form of extraordinary action. And that's something that I've heard you say before is if you want an ordinary life, then you do ordinary things. But if you want an extraordinary life, you have to do extraordinary things. And that's that those things are you putting yourself out there, putting yourself in harm's way, actually taking the chances that could reap the results. But also what happens is when you put yourself in a position to succeed, you're putting yourself in a position to fail. And that's yeah. what's required here. And you have to tolerate some of those small failures and those bumps and bruises that you acquire on along the way while celebrating the small wins and letting those small wins be the louder, um, the louder motivation that kind of trumps the other issues that you're experiencing. Well, so like, I, I think the, that's the beautiful. Mo the most important thing that's ever happened to me in my life is my first head coaching job. I went 0-10 and, and 8 out of the 10 games, I got beat 60 plus to nothing. Okay. And here's what's funny about that. Now, you would think you suck as a football coach, Shane. You're a failed football coach. Now, we got better. I got better later. We started winning seven, eight games. Eight, you know, we, we were pretty good. We weren't great. We were pretty good. And I, but I went 0-10 my first year as head coach. And as I was getting – after Jocelyn said, what else can we do, we started thinking, well, what are we good at? Well, I'm a football coach. I was a defensive coordinator at the time. I'd been in the game about a decade, and I'd learned – every program I'd ever been to was really low talent, really rural – we had to really, we had to earn every yard, Brian, you know what I'm saying? Like to get our wins. Right. But we were, you know, we turned the program around. We went from, you know, my first year I was 0 20 then or 0 10. I felt like 0 20. And then, you know, my second year we won a couple games and then, you know, I got this other job and we started, you know, we went from three and five to five and five to eight and two to, you know, we started getting better, like seven wins, eight wins and whatever. So we built this process and I thought, you know, who's going to listen, would listen to me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm just a guy from Southeast Kentucky coaching, slow kids who can't run on how to win. And, you know, they got Nick Saban. They got Bill Belichick. They got all these people. And I started thinking, you know what, though? More people probably lose than don't. <laughs> I mean, if half the teams are winning, at least half the teams are losing every single week. And those coaches are going home on Friday night, and they're miserable. And, you know, Nick Saban has a six-foot-four, 295-pound defensive tackle killing people. This dude's got a five foot four, 195 pound kid that can't barely tie his shoes, and he's trying to sack a quarterback. So, like, there's that Nick Saban knows nothing how to help these people. He has no clue, but I do. I know exactly. I remember my after my first year of football coaching, getting on Google and saying, "Then God forbid, don't hate me for saying this out loud." But I typed this in, y'all. How to win with fat football players. I typed that into Google. I really did. I said, what offense can score with fat football players? Because all my linemen were out of shape. They were big, couldn't move. My running backs were slow. It was terrible. We had no, no physical ability whatsoever. So I found a weightlifting manual, and I found this awesome offense called the double wing, and I learned how to win a few games, right, with slow football players. And I thought, you know, if I could get my system that I developed to turn a football program around out there to other football coaches – Coaches who were going home sad more nights than not. Like you were, you know, one in, one in 10, two in nine, three and seven. You were just every, you know, if I could just get them to go home happier on Friday nights, more nights of the season than not. If I could just get them to six wins, 
that would change their life. That would change their mood. They'd be yelling at their kids. They wouldn't be fighting with their wife. They would be hopeful for the future that maybe someday they could get to seven, eight, nine, ten 10 wins. Right. And, and I realized like I was ahead of them in the game and there were probably thousands of them out there. All I had to do was show them what I had done. And Jocelyn said, Hey, I've only been an elementary librarian for two, three years. I'm like, it doesn't matter because there's probably a hundred thousand new librarians that just graduated college and they don't know nothing. You've been through it three, two to three years, right? Or you may have ideas that an older librarian doesn't even think of because they're older and set in their ways. And she makes a month of lesson plans. She starts a blog. She builds this list of 250 people. I mean, this is a small audience, right? We launched that thing and we did an August, September lesson pack and we made $2,500 for that from that. And then we did the next month, we made $3,000 for those lesson plans. And in July of 2013, we made $15,000 selling playbooks and lesson plans. In August, we made $36,000, just an old 0-10 football coach and a three-year experienced librarian making $36,000 selling these products on the internet. And uh, bro, in September of uh, uh, 2013, on September 27th, uh, we both resigned from our jobs. And in, in the same office, the principal told me no. I told him bye. And, and we left. And it was just because we, we took action. We didn't let our, 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 the things that were holding us back or these labels that people put on us. We knew we could help people. We knew we could create these things. And we knew we could learn the tools. And we did it. And that's how we got to the point where we could uh, actually take control of our lives and change our family's future and be there uh, for our kids when they need us. Yeah. And, and you bring up a really important point, which is you don't need to be the top of the top of the top to have value. And that's something that I've tried to embrace as an educator myself. Like I'm not Tony Robbins, but I have a self-improvement podcast. So I present things through my own lens, the way that I can relate with people that other people can't. And then that is what people need to hear and consume because it's more relatable. And it goes back to taking those first steps, right? Like being in a position where you don't necessarily know what you're going to do. You don't want to follow Tony Robbins. You don't want to follow Bill Belichick. What you want to do is you want to see the person that is one step ahead of you. And like you said, like now you have that dream because you know exactly what they're doing. You have that example. You're watching the magician's hands. I love that example. Mm -hmm. You're watching yep. the magician's hands and now you can try and duplicate it for yourself. And that is, I mean, that is improvement in a nutshell is you're not going to get to um, running a marathon overnight. You're going to get to running a marathon by putting on your shoes every single morning and then running a little bit farther each day. And that's kind and, of, and it's, and it's, and it's not going to get any easier. Like there's going to be like, even after we quit our jobs, we got, to, we didn't know how to run a business. So we screwed a lot of stuff up in that first year, got to February and we realized, Hey, those lesson plans, they really sold well at back to school, but February is cold and there's a lot of snow days and people aren't in the classroom. Oh no. So sales dropped. So now we have to learn the next thing. How do, you, how do you market? How do you get your sales up? How do you do that? And like, there's always going to be challenges. I just want to choose the challenges that I get to deal with. And that's what was not happening um, when I was working for somebody else. When the boss said she was picking my challenges for me. And I was like, what? I have to deal with that today? You're making me deal with not being there for my son? That's not my choice. I don't want that. But I get to deal with the challenges every day in my business because I'm online, I'm getting up, I'm going to bed, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm dreaming about it, I'm sleeping about it. And you know, if I choose to go home and play Uno with my daughter, I will, right? If I choose to come and talk to you on a podcast, I will. We, I picked this time, we're talking, right? 
And that's really what you want to get to as an entrepreneur. You want to move toward where you have total control of your life. You have stability in your income, predictability in your revenue so that you don't have the stress, you don't have the worry, and you don't have to go to rely on um, anybody else uh, to do that. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And and kind of what underlies all of that too is again that progression of starting in one place because that control like you can you can claim that control in little bits just like your improvement can be yes. made in little bits you know so like you you do one thing and then maybe you're working less hours or maybe you're spending more time in this and it's just kind of like incremental in the way that you claim control and that's actually the last thing i want to touch on is that that mentality to go all in because like you and jocelyn you decide to downsize your house quit your jobs and move forward with, hey, we're doing this online thing full time. And that, like you said, like, yes, the, the dream of security, like that's amazing to have that dream of security. But there's also, you know, the, the corresponding side of that is failure, right? And that's a very real possibility that that could happen too. But what it requires is trust in yourself and what you're doing and understanding that you have in it what it takes to actually claim that security and that control. So I'm curious to hear you reflect on that and maybe what you tell your, your customers and your clients these days when they're having the same questions about like, okay, like what does it take mentally to actually move forward and, and pull the trigger on this? Because it's a difficult decision that you made and I'm sure you help a lot of people do it. Sure. You know, Jocelyn always tells our members, baby steps will get you closer to your, your dreams than no steps at all. And every day is an incremental step. You know, it's like, it's, it's the same reason why we don't look at our numbers. Like we, I get a lot of our customers, they'll come in and start looking at how many members today, how many members quit yesterday? How many do I'm like, look at your numbers once a month. Like we're, we're trying to add up enough baby steps to move forward. Right. Every month. So like baby steps will get you, you know, closer to you go. You got to You have to take those incremental steps and you have to take risk. Like this is not risk free, right? It's like all these, you know, money back guarantees and all this stuff. Like that's just, that's just hype. Like it's not true. Like, right. Like, like this entrepreneurship takes risk. You know, Joss and I had built a good life, like good enough life. We had a 2,400 square foot in our cookie cutter neighborhood with our half or quarter acre and our above ground pool. Right. What we, we, I remember, I remember a football coach one day, he was a young coach. He came over to my house to talk some ball and he goes, dang, man, I would love to have a house like this. I can't wait till I get my full-time teaching job and I'm not just a sub you know, this was someone else's dream that we were living. Don't discount that, right? You're, you probably are somebody else's dream, even though sometimes you're miserable in your life, whoever's listening to this, right? But like, you know, we said, let's give all this up for a chance at something better. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have enough money to invest in our business. I'd yard sold everything with the kids. I was going to start renting them out if anybody wanted to borrow them, you know? And then we lived like no one else. We went straight Dave Ramsey. We were spending no money those first couple of years because we really wanted to build something um, that we could be proud of. And then, you know, as we, as our company grew and our income grew, we went and we bought a new house. And it's so funny. I tell the story all the time and nobody believes me. The, the house we sold was 2,400 square feet. Three years later, you know, as we downsize, everybody's like, why are you doing this? What's wrong? People thought we were getting divorced. They thought I was on drugs and gambling away all my money. Nobody knew what was happening on the backside of this. We bought a house that was 4,800 square feet. It was exactly double the house that we had given up to pursue our dream. And instead of a quarter acre, instead of a fourth of an acre, we now live on 40 acres. And instead of an above ground pool in the backyard, we have a 10 acre private lake that we ride jet skis on. Like this is all, this is, I mean, it's been a span of like three or four years just because we gave up what we, what, we, what we thought was great to go pursue something that we didn't even know existed, but we knew we had a dream and knew it could be 
amazing. And like, it's, it's so funny when you, when you see, when people see you at first, like taking these chances, there's so many naysayers, so many haters. Even when you go to the gym to work out, people are like, Oh, I stay home and eat my ice cream. I mean, I don't have to do that. You know, I'll just take walks, whatever. Like there's always haters, there's always naysayers. And we got a lot of that. Like I, I remember when we told people we were quitting our jobs, um, in our small group at church, it literally was a 30 second awkward pause with 12 jaws on the floor. Cause nobody could fathom why we were giving up a steady paycheck and health insurance. You know what I mean? And then, I, but, but as we started succeeding and as our cars got a little nicer and our house got a little nicer and people saw, wow, they're really paying their bills. They're making it. What are they doing online? You know, people came up to us and they started asking us for help. Um, you know, it, it never would have started if we hadn't have made that first 11 cents, if I hadn't have ran from that thing that hurt and ran forward and did and kept stumbling and, and celebrate those little wins and finally build something for ourselves so that we could inspire other people. And, um, and you know, that's what I encourage everybody to do right now is grab your dream, figure out what you're running from and then go earn it. It's the only way to make it happen. It's, it's really powerful. It's super powerful. And especially kind of going back to the beginning of us talking about, you need that template. You know, you don't have to do it on your own. You need that template. And that's what you've done is you've put in the work, you've earned it. You have this experience, you've created this product and this, this, this education system for other people to go through the exact same process that you did so that they can create in their life what you did for yourself. And you know what's it, funny it, it though? Really it's not about the money. It's about the mission, but you need money to support the mission, right? So you got to go make the money. But it's those stories of the, uh, of, the, of the homeschool kid, right? It's the stories of being able to stay home with a sick kid who's in the hospital all the time and they found a way to do that, right? And, you know, even my story is not about selling a company for a million. It's not about, you know, making money every month and giving myself a raise every day, even, even though that's important. I don't ever want to minimize that. Nothing else is possible without the money. That's the world we live in, God help us all, right? So you got to make the money. But like, the most, the, the, the greatest moment of my journey since we quit our job was actually uh, my son, Isaac, uh, about a year ago, almost breaking his neck. Okay. So about a year ago, I was over here at my office and I was recording some podcasts, had some appointments that day, whatever, just my normal daily routine, just like I'm talking to you right now. And I get a call, um, from, my, uh, our babysitter. Um, and she says, Hey, you know, Isaac's was on a train on the trampoline and he did a flip and and uh, he's hurting. He's hurting really bad. And I'm like, oh, crap. Well, so I just left and I went and, you know, I, you know, shot an email and I said, hey, cancel my, my, my appointments for the day. I got to go see what's going on. So I ran over there and Isaac's neck was really hurting. And I took him to the urgent care um, and they did an x-ray and she walked in with another nurse and they started putting a neck brace on Isaac. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, we think he may have fractured his C. I think it was C3, I think that's what it's called, one of the vertebrae. And she's like, we have to get him to the emergency room right now. And he's freaking out at this point. Isaac's, he goes, what's going on? Because he knows something's wrong. They're putting this thing on his neck. And I, as a football coach, I have seen people break their neck. Like, I know, I know how serious this is at this point, right? Like, oh God, like this is a paralysis injury. This is a lose bowel control injury. This is, this is horrific if it's true. So we get Isaac to the hospital. They put him on a backboard. He's freaking out. Isaac is still claustrophobic from where he got, locked in the bathroom and stuff so like they're, he's tied down on a board he can only see straight ahead he's crying shaking freaking out we wheel him into the emergency room they're trying to get the cat scan clear there's three or four nurses in there by this point jocelyn arrives i look over jocelyn goes what's wrong where is he and she looks at isaac and sees him on the board she faints 
She faints right in the middle of the emergency room floor, Brian. Uh, Isaac's going, where's my mom? She, he sees her fall. She's screaming. Jocelyn's on the floor. Three other people walk in. It's total madness, total chaos. My wife's on the floor. My son's on the board. I don't know who to go to. I just turned around and grabbed my head and I almost started crying. And I'm like, I'm like calm down. You're the only person still standing. Turn around. So I turn around. They've got Jocelyn up on a gurney. I now have both of my wife and my son laying on gurneys. And this goes on for like three or four hours of tests and x-rays and all those things. And finally, we come back and they're like, okay, he's got a big strain, but we don't think, see anything structurally wrong. Everything's going to be okay. He's not going to be paralyzed. We're not going to have to do anything right now. We just got to do this. So they let him off the board. He falls into me and Jocelyn's arms, a sweaty mess, red-faced. I mean, clearly scarred from this incident. It was horrific, right? And so I hug Jocelyn. She goes back to check on Anna Jo, our daughter, because she was still back where she was. And, and me and Isaac are walking out, and I got my arm around him, and um, I help him get in the back of our car. And, um, you know, and he, he's so fatigued, so tired. And I get in the car, and I looked up in the rearview mirror, and I caught Isaac's eyes. And, um, and I said, are you okay? And he said, I'm okay, Dad. And, and then I caught myself in the rearview mirror and it was the same spot, man. I saw myself in the rearview mirror, just like when I left that school, when, um, I, when I, and Isaac needed me and my boss wouldn't let me go. I was like, this is it, man. This is the exact moment that I wanted. This was it. My son needed me and the world be damned. I dropped everything and I was there for him and he knew it. And that's, that was the moment I knew that I had truly changed my life, that I had truly changed my family's future, that I'd taken control of every single part of our life. And that's what we tell people, everyone out there, that they can do if you'll just take action, if you'll just stay focused, if you'll consistently do things and you'll prolifically do things every day and you'll relentlessly do things until they work, then you can be there for your family too once you make it happen. So that's what it's all about for us. It's those can't miss moments. And uh, that's what we're working for every single day in our company. It's not about the millions. It's about the moments. And if you just focus on the moments, they'll inspire you to go make the millions. You're making me tear up. Jeez. Sorry, man. I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't talk about it. Like, like I, I will, I, I mean, for God to have even blessed me with that moment to show yeah. me, you know, I prayed for that moment, you know, when I was praying in that bathroom one day. Right. And, and just to even be blessed to have that kind of moment, you know, but, and, and, and to know that I put in the work to earn it, right? Yeah. Nothing's given to you. There's no magic formula. There's no magic pill. Um, it was just a really amazing thing. And, you know, it's why I'll never quit. Yeah. No, there's, there's so much to it, you know? I mean, even like the fact that you were there, of course, you know, that just brings everything full circle and like that moment happening, but also showing that, right, money isn't everything. Like life happens and there's no amount of money that could fix a major tragedy like that, you know, if that were to have gone worse, which thank God it didn't. But you know, like that's, that's the point is like it, it's about the moments and the mission, not necessarily the money. And I love that the, the money supports the mission, you know, right, and man. that's something that we all need to think through. Gosh, no, this, this has been incredible, Shane. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I mean, obviously just your, vulnerability and transparency, but also just like helping us put ourselves in your shoes, understanding that whatever that dream is, you know, yours was born out of this major moment involving a child, but whatever anyone's motivation or moment is and what they want to create, it's possible. And you just, you kind of have to take the steps forward one step at a time, 
slow but steady, uh, fall on your nose, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So I, I really appreciate you sharing. This has been amazing and uh, look forward to uh, seeing all the other lives you're going to change with this philosophy and with your words. And it really, it really is a mission to us. You know, if I, I always tell people if I wanted to stick to passive income, I was making it. Like that's what our education company did. People were downloading lesson plans, right? And, um, you know, but, but we have dedicated our lives to helping um, other people find and use their God-given talents and experiences uh, to serve others and to make an income for your family. I am so thankful for podcasting. I am so thankful for podcasters. I'm so thankful for anybody that lets us uh, tell our story and maybe help their audience. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you, man. Wow. What an emotional conversation, but how inspiring is that? It's a story about two teachers from Kentucky who experience a trauma in their life, realize that they can't continue living that way, and with nothing more than a strong vision and hard work, Shane and Jocelyn created the life they had always dreamed of, and now have the privilege of helping other people pursue that dream too. I've gotten to know Shane personally over the last few months and can tell you that his heart is as big as it sounds. If you want to learn more about what he's doing to help families reclaim control of their lives and income, you can learn more about his work and actually join 30 days for free at www.flippedlifestyle.com free. Additionally, he and Jocelyn have a weekly podcast on the subject of passive income called the Flip Your Life Podcast. And I also wanted to mention again a resource that Shane brought up, which is what Shane used to flip his life the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn. The world is out there and has everything you want. You just need to grasp it by taking action. Please let me know if I can help in any way with that by writing in to selfimprovementdailytips at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and keep at it. I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.